Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Before we start the show today, we are going to shout out the winners of our merch giveaway that we did to celebrate our 100th episode. So congratulations to Sarah, Nico, Natalie, and Liam. And thank you for entering everyone who did. It was really, really nice to read about your favorite episodes. It made me feel very good. Yeah, we've also got some Patreon shout-outs. Amber, you want to take those? Yeah, so I'm um, going to shout out our our newest members of our little fold, um, and that's Deborah and Cheyenne. So it's thank really Thank you great. both so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy to have you aboard. And just right before we start, if you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a huge, huge help, and it helps other listeners find us. We want to get into that sweet, sweet algorithm. Um, so without further ado, how about we start the podcast? Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And today we continue with our back to school theme with an episode on archaeological illustration. Pictures, images, visuals on a podcast in your ears. This is going to be great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was a good choice on our part. No, it might seem odd to talk about such a visual subject on an entirely audio platform. Although, if you do want to watch us record, we are now streaming our recording sessions on Twitch. The sound even works this time. Oh my God. For both of us. (laughs) I mean, for both of us at the same time. If you want to watch Anna be like on a phone call, (laughs) like for two hours. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. Both sides of the conversation are audible this time. And to hear them and see our faces at the same time, which might be weird. Um, (laughs) You can follow us on social media or subscribe to our Twitch channel for notifications when we start streaming. And that's at twitch.tv slash the dirt podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And if you follow us on our Twitch channel, it will tell you when we're live. It automatically sends you notifications when we start streaming. So we can bother you in all the different ways. (laughs) Um, So. Illustration. So even though it seems like it's a weird choice for a podcast episode, the depiction and reproduction of archaeological materials is really important to the field, and it's it's not just pictures. So I want to start us off with a story from my undergrad days that is going to make me sound like a humble bragging butthead, but I promise I don't mean it that way. So... In one of the first undergrad archaeology classes I took, we learned about archaeological illustration. And so one class project involved visiting the college's own archaeological collections, which in retrospect, I'm really mad that I didn't take more advantage of those. Um, I did. We were, well, cool. (laughs) (laughs) See where I got me. We were assigned some uh, ceramic sherds to draw. So I should mention that I've always loved drawing and I'm pretty decent at it. I D 
do all of our designs for the dirt and like I'm our illustration person. So I took my also you do archaeological illustration. Right, I do. Yeah. Uh, spoiler. People, I, I do this. People pay people you pay to do me. this. Yeah. yeah. So that's... yeah. So yeah, I'm legit, I guess. So I took my little shirts and my graph paper, and I drew and I shaded. And at this point, I had been an art student, but I had never been an illustration student. So I was really pleased with the results. But when I showed our TA my drawings, she kind of winced, and she said something along the lines of, "Oh, those are too good." So it turns out that what archaeological illustration is about is not so much artistic ability, but technical skill. Illustrations are meant to be accurate, yes, but they're also meant to display features or attributes of an artifact in a way that passes information to the viewer. It's not about making a pretty picture. It's about using visual information to allow other people to see what you want them to see. So I had to redo those drawings, despite the fact that they may have may or may not have had artistic merit. I redid them so that they were illustrations. And Amber, you said you also had a story you wanted to share yeah, about the collections. Yeah. I, I was wondering if it was going to be this story because maybe I rem- I only remembered the funny part and not like the actual like part with any pedagogical merit. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I took, so I, I took a few classes that involved going to the collections and drawing things. And, um, and I also did a, I had like a research fellowship that involved drawing and cataloging shirts but this first time that we went up there uh when we just took a it took a tour and it was like you know baby archaeology and we all went Did upstairs you have to wear the mickey mouse gloves uh yeah we all had to wear these like very silly gloves uh, these like one size fits none gloves so whose and- hands were they made for <laughs> um and and so the the collections were up on like the the top level of this building, and so it was like hot because it's like all glass, old building, beautiful from the outside, horrible on the inside, and so we're all <laughs> is, that, st- is that a metaphor? Or what? <laughs> yeah, we're all stuffed in this um, in the collections, and um, our professor is sort of towards the back. And they're like these like, like plinths, basically, with like stuff on them for us to look at. And there's like examples of different vessels and, and different things from whatever period we were studying. And I remember coins. Some coins. Well, these there weren't there weren't coins in this because of what happens next. Um, and so we're we're all stuffed in there, and somebody knocks something over. And I think it was a water bottle. I think that somebody like knocked their Nalgene off off the counter, and like it mm. went off, and it um, like smashed into the floor. And in the like split second from something is in motion to something hit the floor, the professor like screamed, <laughs> and he like dove. <laughs> To like save this 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 jar and everyone was just like what just happened because there's sort of like the people immediately around that thought that like that thought that somebody knocked this like artifact this this like yeah this this priceless thing that like somebody's grandma like got on the grand tour yeah. and donated to yeah. our school yeah and <laughs> and so because he also you could tell that he was just like convinced that like somebody was gonna do something bringing all and, these <laughs> noobs up to the museum like, to flail around these children and <laughs> and it was um so tense after that where everyone was just like 
<laughs> it's like, you got a freebie. Like, don't mess this up. But yeah, I was just wondering. I was like, did we end up drawing anything that day? Like, no, I would have remembered that. So we, you and I, as it turns out, both took that class, but we're not in the same year of that class okay. because I would have remembered that happening. Yeah. Um, and also the um, the professor that did it, um, man, he was mm-hmm. he was ready for somebody to do something. <laughs> and he was really stressed about it. Oh, that story stressed me out. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> It's funny now that I know. Oh that no, it was funny the second we figured out that it was like not that like, it was an algae, a modern yeah. artifact. Yes, because yeah. <laughs> I think it like when it hit the ground, it was like plunk. It, <laughs> it yes, was like really anticlimactic. <laughs> Scream, plunk. <laughs> so this week. <laughs> Back to the show. So this week, we're not just talking about traditional hand-drawn illustrations. We're going to talk about machine-drawn illustrations. Um, We're talking about different ways that archaeologists use visual media to transmit information about all kinds of artifacts. It's kind of similar to the way we use a podcast to put together and translate information about all sorts of archaeological materials and stories to you, our listeners. So let us start with a bit of background. In the 17th century CE, antiquarians such as John Aubrey began to produce what might be called prototypical plan drawings resulting from survey. One of the most famous drawings Aubrey produced is of the megalithic structures at Avebury. A hinge. (laughs) It's a hinge. (laughs) Tis. Tis a hinge. And it also tis a site we briefly mentioned in last week's episode on shock figures. Mm -hmm. During the 18th century antiquarianism began to embrace the scientific principles associated with the Enlightenment. Oddly enough, though, drawings of archaeological sites moved away from scientific precision and towards a romantic style, more like landscape painting than a scientific documentary approach. William Stukeley... Yep, Stukeley. William Stukeley, an English antiquarian, physician, and Anglican clergyman, you know, he's a... He was a Renaissance man because, um, you know, the 1700s was a great time to be a wealthy gentleman. Yeah, you um, could be a doctor, a lawyer, a physician. Wait, a doctor and a physician. <laughs> you could be you could be many things at once. Yeah, because there like wasn't enough medicine to learn to make being a doctor take very long. You know, I maybe that's the reason. Well, that's my theory. OK, that's kind of you. Um <laughs> So Stukeley wrote in 1717, quote, without drawing and designing, the study of antiquities is lame and imperfect, end quote, which was a fair point in the 18th century. Photography hadn't been invented yet, and not everyone could travel to see archaeological sites. So illustrations were a necessity. Meanwhile, in the Mediterranean and Near East, methodologies were beginning to change. The density of occupation in these sites called for better ways to discern small temporal changes, and this resulted in advances in several areas, but particularly in stratigraphy, and therefore section drawing. When the excavations at Pompeii and Herculaneum began in October of 1738, or rather began again, the first project from 1594 to 1600 was mostly motivated by the desire for some nifty sculptures and other treasures. Um, but in 1738, the men in charge of the sites, particularly a Swiss engineer, Carl Jakob Weber, were much more methodical. 
Faber's practices of recording the fine spots of important objects in three dimensions and making detailed plans of archaeological remains laid the foundations for the indispensable procedures of modern archaeology. Meticulous section drawing was pioneered in the 1840s by Giuseppe Fiorelli, working in Pompeii and then refined by Alexander Cohn's. Yeah, I don't know. Conze. I don't know. It's Conze. <laughs> Um, by Alexander Conze and Ernst Curtius while working at Samothrace and Olympus, respectively. Uh, Kunz and Curtius recognized that archaeological excavation destroyed the site and therefore they should create a written record to replace the archaeological resource as they destroyed it. So historically, archaeological illustration isn't just about artifacts, but also about mapping and recording. The techniques pioneered in the Mediterranean eventually made their way back around Northern Europe. Augustus Pitt Rivers, or um, as his friends knew him, Augustus Henry Lane Fox Pitt Rivers, (laughs) is crediting with revolutionizing archaeological practice in where, you guessed it, the UK. A, A directive attributed to him is, quote, describe your illustrations. Do not illustrate your descriptions. So... Yeah. Sounds cool. Um, Yeah. And to that point, um, it's worth noting that there's no sort of one school of archaeological illustration, just like there's really no one school of archaeology. Archaeological practice is very, very different depending on where you go, the type of site that's being excavated and who's running it. And in the same way, the, the ways that you do archaeological illustration can be very different, but there are a few cases where there are conventions sort of ways that people tend to represent certain artifacts, and especially in lithics or stone tools, um, which is one of the first things I learned um, to draw because when I started grad school and decided that I wanted to learn about archaeological illustration for real, um, that was really what we had available for me to work on in you know, large amounts. And, you know, I probably wouldn't break them by drawing them. So, um, yeah, there are certain ways that you draw stone tools and, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the show. But, uh, first this is pulled from an article published in 2018 in the journal of field archeology span entitled pencils and pixels drawing and digital media, archeological field recording by Colleen Morgan and Holly Wright. And I'll be referring to this article um, sort of throughout the show today because it's, first of all, it's a very long article and we will have it linked on the show notes. But um, it's interesting. It's um, sort of a, a very archaeologically written paper about illustration. So it's a bit dense. I did my best to to translate. So, quote, Present practice in drawing, representations of archaeological deposits, is globally fragmented with only a few commonalities. A survey of archaeological recording systems reveals this diversity through the affordances of context sheets. Whether there is space for free drawing, if there is a circumscribed space denoting a one by one meter square, directions regarding scale, indication of magnetic north, or if the expected sketch would be performed in a notebook with color coding. With the emergence of digital field techniques, increased availability of unpublished fieldwork reports, commonly referred to as archaeological gray literature, such as site reports hosted online, and connectivity of communities of practice through social media, it is possible to discuss these differing methods of representation in archaeology and speculate regarding the potential homogenization of archaeological visualization. Was that one sentence? I think it was. Yeah. Field drawing is a medium in transition. 
Though there is a wide range of conventions across regional traditions and variation in the relative utility of drawings and the ability to translate these into meaningful interpretations of archaeological deposition, drawing has persisted in archaeological practice. In regional traditions that do not disambiguate between archaeological deposits that excavate in arbitrary levels or exclusively use top plans, the benefit of drawing by hand may be obscured and accuracy valorized above all considerations. For stratigraphic excavation, drawing by hand invokes an intimate interaction with the materiality of the archaeological record, forcing the archaeologist to observe stratigraphic relationships. As William Carraher states, quote, illustrating the trench involves interpreting the representation of relationships between objects and resolving the myriad of small relational conflicts between the features visible in the trench, end quote. In the second part of this episode, we're going to move from hand drawing to photography and other digital methods. And you might think that photography would be much better for archaeology. After all, camera doesn't lie, right? Well, maybe, but whether it shows everything you want it to show is another question altogether. So this is from an article on newarchaeology.com. Quote, drawing has two benefits that photography lacks. Firstly, it forces the archaeologist in training to really look at the artifact being examined. If you have to spend a considerable period of time, hours rather than minutes, looking at all aspects of an object, you will almost certainly see things you may have missed from a cursory examination. Using your eyes is one of the key skills of archaeology and should be developed and nurtured as a skill. I know of no better learning experience than asking a student to examine something for an hour or two. Secondly, there are some objects that just don't photograph particularly well. For example, lithics are famous for being hard to photograph in such a way that all facets are shown, plus a lot of this is me interjecting, but plus a lot of lithics are made of kind of shiny reflective material, so it's really hard to get a photo that isn't washed out in some way. Okay. Of course, the one thing that a camera should offer in terms of an improvement over a drawing is accuracy, but even here, archaeologists learn that lenses distort objects and so care must be taken in assuming that an angle in a photograph is a true representation of the same angle on the object. End quote. So there's a lot to be said for drawing by hand. As long as you have someone on your team with a decent amount of technical drawing skill, they can produce sketches or plans or maps that are invaluable, especially if you're going to leave the site and revisit it for multiple seasons. Plus, hand drawing doesn't require expensive equipment, just a good sharp pencil, some graph paper or a ruler, and a surface to lean on. There is certainly a lot to be said for digital methods as well. So before we get to those, let's take a quick ad break. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. 
Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. All right, we're back. Let's get digital. 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 Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know what photography is, listeners. But what about photogrammetry? This is a a digital technique. Digital. That essentially (laughs) stitches together multiple photos of an object from many different angles using overlapping visual reference points. You run those photos through software that recognizes those overlap points and uses them to put the photos together in a 3D image of an object or physical space. Dr. Samantha Porter is, quote, an advanced imaging and visualization specialist. Per her Twitter bio. Per her Twitter bio, yeah. Um, (laughs) In other words, to quote her Twitter handle, Sam scans stuff. She's at Sam scans stuff. Yeah, and she she said that it was totally cool for us to use her handle, and so I encourage you to follow her. And so in 2016, she and her colleagues published an article in the Journal of Archaeological Science titled Portable and Low-Cost Solutions to the Imaging of Paleolithic Art Objects, a Comparison of Photogrammetry and Reflectance Transformation Imaging. Concise. In that article, she describes how to build your very own photogrammetry rig. A write-up on the Leaky Foundation's website shares some insights. Quote, Over the past few years, the ability to create 3D models of fossils, artifacts, and even entire sites has begun to revolutionize the fields of paleoanthropology and archaeology. 3D representations of objects have several uses. For one thing, it is common for researchers to spend most of their year far away from the material they are studying. 3D models can be used as portable reference across sites and even across continents. Furthermore, Data derived from 3D models can be evaluated using sophisticated statistical techniques, such such as geometric morphometrics, which can make it possible to analyze similarities and differences in shape quantitatively. 3D models can also be used as a way of enhancing traditional two-dimensional static illustrations found in most publications. Finally, interactive 3D models are an excellent educational tool and are a great way of making specimens accessible to a broader audience. Especially in a circumstance that no one could have predicted, like a global pandemic, which is preventing a lot of students from accessing collections. Yeah. Initially, the most popular way for researchers to create 3D models was through the use of 3D scanners. Although they're highly effective, these scanners can be expensive, hard to transport, and prone to breaking. Yep, yep, yep. For a graduate student conducting research in a variety of relatively remote locations, traveling alone and with limited funds, these factors meant bringing a 3D scanner to the field was not feasible. Um, And so that pushed um, Samantha Porter into looking into other ways of creating 3D scans. Photogrammetry, known as structure from motion, works by finding common reference points across a series of digital photographs. Sounds like a modern dance installation structure from motion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) These reference points are used to calculate the position of the camera in each shot, as well as the shape of whatever is being photographed. It sounds like in the days of disposable cameras where you would like snap, 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 snap. Oh, and and then tape together a panorama. Yeah, you'd you'd patch them together. Mm-hmm. It um, does that, but but really fast and 
and digitally. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so these reference points are used to calculate the position of the camera in each shot, as well as the shape of whatever is being photographed. Thanks to recent advances in processing software and digital cameras, the 3D models produced by using this technique can be of the same quality or even better than models produced by the most common types of 3D scanner. In order, to, in order to properly apply this technique and consistently create high-quality 3D models, Porter developed a photogrammetry rig and established an accompanying photography and post-processing protocol. The rig uses inexpensive, easily replaceable parts, is collapsible, and can easily fit within a carry-on suitcase. All of its electronic elements are battery-powered, meaning it is possible, possible to create 3D models just about anywhere there is a flat surface. Yeah, it's really cool. Which is awesome. Yeah. It also sounds like something that my uh, MacBook Air would not be able to, <laughs> to process. Well, <laughs> the processing power of a computer is sort of external to the <laughs> effectiveness of the rig no. itself. It's just like that's no, that, that's a it, different problem. Yeah, exactly. It seems like something that would like go great until I like plug it into my please, laptop. Please and, make this work. It's just like melted. <laughs> yeah. Which has happened to computers in the What, past. melting? Yeah. Your computer specifically? Yeah, my junior year was really tough. Buddy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think oh. you were, I think you I were was... abroad when that happened. The rig is essentially a rotating circular platform made of cardboard or other sturdy but easily acquired material. Like a dead laptop. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, the platform has regular measurements recorded around its circumference so that you can take photos of an object at re regular intervals. A camera goes on a tripod pointed at the platform. The camera never needs to move. It's the object that gets rotated. The whole thing can be set up against a background, usually matte black cloth, in order to make it easier to digitally edit the images later with lighting from a desk lamp. As long as your desired object fits on the platform, you're good to go. Take your pictures, upload them to your computer, run them through the software. Sam's article recommends the program Sketchfab. And boom, 3D image. There you go. Yeah. It was easy. Yeah. You did it. <laughs> you did it. Good job. Um, and Sam used to do on her social media, I think she used to do something called like Sunday scans or something like that. And she just, because this was when she was sort of testing out the rig and, and you know, getting practice with it. So she just like scan things around her house and do that and take the, the photos and stitch it into a 3D image. And it's like, here's a rotating image of this little figurine. It was really fun. Oh, that's fun. Um, but one thing that I wanted to plug before we move on is that Sam is part of the If Then program. She's an ambassador. And so it's a it's from um, AAAS. What's, what's that? The American um, Help. The, the American Association for the Advancement of Science. That's the one. I don't know what that second uh, A is. It might be Academy. I think it's Association. It's ass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Lida Hill Philanthropies. And it aims to provide role models of women in STEM. And so the If Then collection just launched and it includes images and videos of the ambassadors. And the, there are three ambassadors who are within archaeology. Sam's one of them. And so um, folks are free to use those images and video. And so if you want to see them and access them, you can go to ifthencollection.org. So we'll have that link on the show notes. And um, this hasn't happened yet, but she said, also fun fact, I got 3D scanned along with the other ambassadors using photogrammetry. And once once every, once every, the world kind of opens back up again, uh, they're going to 3D print 
the ambassador's life size uh, to create the biggest exhibit of statues of women ever. That's fun. I enjoy that. So yeah, I go that. check that out. I will. Did you have any questions about how photogrammetry works or anything? Just or sort of how the the audience or the you, audience surrogate? Both. Well, you specifically, just in case there's anything I didn't like, was that a good explanation? No, that's a really great explanation. Yeah, that okay. makes a lot of sense. Like I'm, I'm, okay. I wasn't unfamiliar with it, but also I think that I, um, the first time that I had encountered it was in, in a setting where there were many cameras oh. rather than a single camera. It's like, it's all, it's what, it's like one unit and you like put your thing in it and it like oh. does, it's, oh. it's like very like. That seems this is very powerful. Complicated. Um, yeah. I think I say this later in the script. So when we get there, I'll say it again. But I have, it's very easy to, if you have a smartphone, um, there are a number of apps that essentially do this, but it's more for kind of landscape or like capturing the space you're in, in 3D. So the app I use is called Photosynth and it basically instructs you to take a series of photos. It kind of directs you where to point the camera and then it runs those photos through whatever, you know, whatever software it uses. And then it's like, here is your 3D space. And so when I worked in South Africa, I took some really cool um, images of the the desert floodplain that we were in, like looking up the cliff into where the site was. And it was, it's just like a, a really cool way to sort of record the space you're in. Um, and I think it does something that, first of all, photography itself alone can't do. And illustration really even can't provide this kind of experience. And so as someone who's interested in communicating not just information, but the experience of archaeology and the experience of both doing and, and learning about archaeology to to viewers and to, you know, it, it's it's a really cool resource. Yeah. So maybe we should photosynth ourselves in various places next time we can both get out in the world together. <laughs> That'd be fun. Um and so that kind of thing might make you wonder whether hand drawing might ever be obsolete. So we're going to go back to pencils and pixels for some thoughts. <laughs> Quote, after scrutinizing digital and analog recording, we have found that drawing in archaeology is at a critical juncture. Though we have created a dichotomy between these method methods to assess the relative affordances of each, those methods being digital and analog, we now seek to critically interrogate an integrated approach to preserve the important pedagogical and cognitive functions of drawing. To understand the impact of digital drawing on archaeological methodology, it is instructive to consider how archaeologists develop and employ interpretive visual media while conducting fieldwork. So this is so important, both for someone considering archaeological imaging and for writing about archaeology or about anything in the sciences, really. So who is your audience? What is it that is most important for them to see? How do you best show them those important parts? Now, archaeology and anthropology, by extension, is ultimately about telling stories about human lives that are no longer visible because those people are gone. All we have is what they left behind, and archaeology fills in the details. So what are the details? Quoting again from Pencils and Pixels. Though it is a slow process, we contend that drawing by hand in the field represents an irreplaceable pedagogical tool, a collective way to construct our understanding of the archaeological record. Visual literacy and professional vision must be cultivated. And so they, they quote another paper, um, and we'll link to that paper on the show notes, but they say, quote, the basic experience of drawing things by hand accurately to scale 
plans, sections, elevations, perhaps above all, some artifacts, offer something unique and invaluable, end quote. Though more experienced archaeologists may be able to annotate photographs of stratigraphy, students require a multisensorial encounter to disambiguate deposits, to touch material remains, to listen to the tonal differences as the trowel scrapes surfaces, perhaps even to smell more recent deposits. Um, the takeaway for archaeology from this selected literature on structured sketching and the transition to digital tools in design is that there is a kind of cognitive work that is being performed while drawing that is not easily replicated by digital tools. I mean, that is true. As drawing has persisted since the beginning of archaeological recording, well, yeah, they didn't have Wacom tablets, remained important after the introduction of photography, is characterized as an essential mode of communication and knowledge production within archaeology, and features prominently within abductive reasoning during initial archaeological investigation, a complete abdication to digital recording should be a matter of intense consideration. Okay, well, let's do some intense consideration while we take another short ad break. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for motion. With motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. I was mad about that whole article just because it's such an accessible topic and yet they managed to confound uh-huh. it entirely. Uh-huh. I'm so, I'm uh-huh. also so very sweaty and that's really <laughs> annoying me too. You feel like you're back in the collections. I, well, yeah. You're very and I was sweaty and distra- this is inaccessible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was getting distracted. Like I could feel drops of sweat like rolling down my side and it was really distracting. So I, I was like trying to also concentrate on reading and then I skipped a, I skipped a line in the paragraph and I was just like, ah! Okay. All right. Good ad break. So if you're interested in archaeological illustration and you want to learn how to do it, there are plenty of resources out there. Unfortunately, in the current global circumstances facing the moment in which you are listening to it, if it just came out, yeah, your access to Hi, artifact collections, you <laughs> your access to artifact collections might be seriously limited. And if they aren't, perhaps you perhaps should consider you live in a museum. Yeah. <laughs> perhaps, or you should give those things back. But no, perhaps consider limiting your access right now, uh, for everyone's sake. But don't let that stop you. Don't let it. You can use things around the house as practice. After all, anything made by people is technically an artifact. <laughs> Bring that up at the dinner table, you precocious listeners, you. Um, 
And also, we're going to have additional resources linked on the show notes for you so you can learn so much. If you're curious about what it's like to take a class on archaeological illustration, here's some insight from an article on the website of Columbia College, which is part of Columbia University's website on science and art in archaeological illustration. In a bright laboratory in Schirmerhorn, a handful of students recently stood around two long wooden tables mixing colors they had created to paint illustrations of ceramics that dated as far back as 300 B.C. They were looking at the significance and texture of color, applying rich ochre and other earth pigments to the drawings of the vessels, which came from an archaeological excavation in southern Peru. As she walked around inspecting the work, Zoe Crossland, associate professor of anthropology, advised, quote, when layering color, go from light to dark. Think about leaving some parts white, end quote. Students explored different illustrative techniques, mixing colors and finding ways to depict ancient ceramics, lithics, landscapes, and even human and animal remains. Co-teacher Tracy Melise, um, a visual artist, said exposure to the repository's artifacts from the 17th to 19th centuries helped students get into a mode of seeing that is particular to archaeological illustration. She said, quote, it's a really unique experience for students to be able to make art while handling things like lithic tools and metal buckles and pottery and clay pipes. It infuses their work in this class with storytelling and the subject, the subjective, not the subjunctive, <laughs> the subjective. We're exploring the possibility of the illustration in the hypothetical. So we need the subjunctive. <laughs> It infuses their work in this class with storytelling and the subjective impact of these objects, which is usually left out in the way that left out in the way that these things have traditionally been represented in archaeology. End quote. Um, Crossland, the the professor that we mentioned above, who learned much of her technical drawing from illustrating artifacts that she had collected in Madagascar, said that it is this crossover appeal that attracts students when they are thinking about future career options. Um, as she's quoted saying, there is certainly quite a field in scientific illustration. If you think about magazine articles and newspapers, they include different illustrations, not just archaeology. And for archaeologists, it's useful to have some training in illustration and understanding the conventions if you need to prepare something for publication, end quote. Uh, Crossland, who's been at Columbia since 2006, holds a BA in archaeology and anthropology at the, from the University of Cambridge and a PhD in anthropology from the University of Michigan. And she and Melise were uh, awarded a course development grant from Columbia Center for Science and Society to launch the class. And now they hope to teach it every other year. So hopefully they're doing that. Um, mm -hmm. And one last quote from Crossland. She said, there's something really gratifying about being completely absorbed in what you're doing. And it's a good break from writing papers. It is. And so I really wanted to include that Columbia is not the only uh, university that offers courses in either scientific or more specifically, archaeological illustration. So there are, if you're interested in pursuing that as a career, there are courses out there. So there are ways to specialize, but it's also that something that you can just do if you are interested in art or if you're interested in learning how to do this, it's something that you can kind of pick up as you work as an archeologist, which is what I ended up doing. Um, it's nice to get paid for something you love to do. So, uh, finally, I wanted to share some tips from the graphic archeology span group. Gag. Gag. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, this is a, it's a UK based group, but they, uh, are sort of international. At least their website is written in. I think their website is available outside the UK. <laughs> no, no, no. I meant, I meant they are an international group, but their website seems to be mostly written by someone who uses language in the way that someone from the UK would. This is a fact sheet titled 10 things graphics staff wished diggers knew. So I'm not going to do all 10, but the page will be on the show notes. And the Graphics Archaeology Group represents those who visualize, illustrate, and survey the historic environment. We focus on issues relating to standards, training, and employment, and contribute to broader discussions on the development of the archaeological profession as a whole. So, things graphics staff wished diggers knew. Number one, the graphics team often don't see the site you were excavating. When you are completing your hand drawings or your survey, remember that the graphics team probably didn't see the site. Things on-site may seem obvious, such as, we didn't excavate that bit because there was a service pipe in the way, but when it gets to the office, who ha- I, I, I envy people who have an office full of graphic design folks, but anyway, when it gets to the office, your graphics team are left with only half a feature. Drawing the unexcavated segment of your feature makes our lives much easier in trying to place your intervention. Number two, we are not mind readers. You're drawing loads of stuff into your section drawing. You use an abundance of symbols, and you know what they all are. You may think to yourself, hey, I keyed it on my other drawing, it'll be fine. It comes to report stage, and only some drawings have been forwarded to the illustrator, meaning your key is nowhere to be found. Perhaps even the project officer has no idea what you are getting at since these conventions weren't agreed on as a team, and the process grinds to a halt as we try to decipher. Please label every individual drawing when things aren't 100% obvious and try to stick to conventions as a team. It saves us all a lot of time in the long run. Oh my God, I feel so very exasperated. By this person. I am. <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel attacked? I, yeah, I mean, I did terrible drawings in my trenches. Uh, if you don't, and honestly, and I, I don't mean this patronizingly, but if you don't know better, like you might not think to code your because you know what you're doing you know what in your own head I mean, you know what it means to draw theory. well okay <laughs> number three legible handwriting is a godsend <laughs> <laughs> illustrators are not the only people who benefit from this and we know it's tough when it's cold and you have gloves on and it's tipping it down see british but please and those quick little annotations you made in lowercase Amber, (laughs) I don't know. Did you? Sometimes they're very tricky, especially for non-native speakers or readers. Number four, we do really appreciate it when you sharpen your pencil before drawing. It may sound daft, but it's true. For example, when you draw over your cut lines to make them more obvious by making them darker and not thicker, we really appreciate it. And a sharp pencil is crucial. Number five, this one applies directly to me (laughs) and my sense of direction. North might not be where you think it is. As an illustrator, I find that many photos and drawings that come through the office are apparently pointing in a direction that they clearly aren't when I get the whole site survey up on screen. Maybe when you started, your supervisor pointed at a tree and said, North is there. Unfortunately, they may have told someone else something slightly different, and there can change an awful lot depending on how close that tree is. Sometimes, (laughs) are you okay? That's just like, wow. Sometimes people put compasses in the camera bags on site. It really can't hurt. <laughs> this person is just like writing this with their head in their hands. It would, like, be, it, it would be cool if someone bothered seeing where North was. 
<laughs> what a mess. Number six, finally. If something doesn't make sense, say so. Sometimes, survey files have squiggles everywhere as someone was trying to magic some sense into what they saw on the ground, but mistakes can get magnified once another pair of eyes have tried to interpret your interpretation. Keep your supervisor in the loop because if it's wrong, it doesn't help anyone. So, I mean, these are things to consider and also kind of a nice peek into what just like in general, what an archaeological project is like. Just like, I, like also the tone of this is very mm -hmm. in keeping with um, British field colleagues I have had. Oh, that's very and so funny. I think I'm just like feeling especially like I'm feeling I'm feeling very activated uh, right now. <laughs> Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> if you're interested, go check out the GAG resource page. Uh, it has links to open source illustration software, among other things, if you want to learn to do digital illustrations using a tablet, which is one of the things that I do. And it's very, very useful if you want to produce nice, clean digital version versions of your of your work. And then finally, we have a book club recommendation. Woo! Book club, book club. Uh, and that book is Approaches to Archaeological Illustration by Melanie Steiner. Um, this is a book that I had when I was, I think, in high school. I think one of my parents got it for me because I started being interested in archaeology. Um, and they were running out of things. I'm, I think I'm difficult to shop for. Oh, wait, is that Here's why? the blurb. So I have so many, like, beanies? Is it? <laughs> no, I, I buy those. Okay. I just really like hats. I like when something's touching the top of my ears. It's very comforting. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> I also sleep that way. I have to have the blanket tucked up so it covers my ear. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> okay, here's the blurb from the book. Archaeological illustration has changed enormously in recent years, with inked-up plans a thing of the past with the advent of an array of digital tools and programmes. <laughs> Despite all that, the need to produce an illustration of high quality that accurately reproduces an object remains paramount. This necessary combination of accuracy and aestheticism, we should appreciate both object and illustration, has inspired this handbook. It presents a series of drawings of objects made from a full range of materials accompanied by discussions on the types of illustration most suited to that object type, the manufacture of the object, how it was drawn, and suggestions for further reading. So that's one of the things that I really, really like about this book. It's like, hey, are you drawing bone? Here's some really good ways to depict bone. Are you drawing metal? Metal's different from bone. Here's how you make it look like metal, right? So that's that's a really, really cool skill to have. Um, organized by material, the guide covers objects of bone, ceramic, glass, jet and shale, leather. <laughs> Those are my future children, jet and shale. <laughs> leather, copper alloy, gold, iron, lead, carved stone, flints, and wood, and includes a Roman knife and comb, Ming porcelain, medieval floor tiles, and roof finials, Roman and medieval glass, a Roman shoe, bronze age dress fasteners, iron shekels, Scottish carved slabs, that's difficult to say, and an iron age wooden shovel. As was Melanie Steiner's intention, the handbook promotes respect for both the skill of the original craftsman and that of the archaeological illustrator. It's a good book. Wow. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, that's going to wrap it up for this week, folks. So uh, put the cap back on your ink bottles and make sure to secure it tightly. You don't want any spills in your little backpack. Don't um, drop that Nalgene. Don't drop that Nalgene. <laughs> 
<laughs> Mem and Ollie's going to get you. <laughs> Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in here soon with more of back to school content, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you like to listen. Yep. And and hey, drop us some reviews, some stars. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. And you can also find us on social media. On Facebook, we're just The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we're at The Dirt Pod. Yeah. Um, and so all of that, plus merch, plus the opportunity to sponsor episodes more all of that's on our website uh which is thedirtpod.com yeah thank you for listening everybody yeah we love you bye goodbye this show is produced by the archaeology podcast network chris webster and tristan boyle in reno nevada at the reno collective this has been a presentation of the archaeology podcast network Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com members. Thanks again and have a great day.